This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. First Thessalonians 5, 19-22 Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So for those of you who are new, a couple of things just to kind of get you situated in this room. Uh, Ted and Damien do the bulk of the preaching here. Ted's like our ace, our starting pitcher. Damien is part of the starting rotation. He gets in there. And if both those guys are tired, I'm like middle relief. I just show up regularly just when they really can't preach. And so take that for what it is. Uh, <laughs> secondly, we typically preach through much larger sections of Scripture. And as Damien and Ted have introduced in previous weeks, uh, Paul's doing something unique in chapter 5. Uh, the rest of the Bible, he's taking this rifle approach. There's these particular issues that are happening in the church, and Paul wants him to address them specifically and uniquely. But at the end of chapter 5, he kind of vomits a bunch of information. It's this potpourri of goodness. And so he thought we'd slow down and kind of, kind of hammer through these verses one at a time and really apply them from our particular unique situation. Now, as, as we've kind of split up 1 Thessalonians, it's been really interesting with the passages I've gotten. There's a little pattern to this. I want to invite you into my, my problems, my shame, my worries here. The last time we worked through rotation, Ted was preaching like loving your neighbor and Damien was talking about vocation. And then I got sexual morality. I'm like, what? <laughs> and then this time around, Ted was talking about praying in all circumstances and being joyful. And Damien was preaching on be good to your neighbors. And then I get prophecy. Do you see a pattern here? In all seriousness, uh, I'm, I'm enjoying, uh, I've enjoyed studying for this sermon. It's not what I've initially wanted, but I'm really thankful to be actually in this text and preaching from this text. We're looking at the last group of imperatives, five of them in all, and they all do center around the use and control of prophecy. And so to warm us up on this subject, I want to share a personal story. Uh, back in 2008, uh, I was a church planner in Chapel Hill. Chapel Hill is where I was born and raised, and I just love that town. And so as I was in the midst of a church plant, I was six years in, and I realized God was probably calling me to replant that church. Now, the church was a technical success. Everything I wanted to accomplish was accomplished, but I kind of burned out in the middle of that process, and the church kind of lost its vision centering, and I realized it was my fault, my lack of leadership, and God was bringing repentance in my life to kind of bring about some change in the church. But I was really intimidated with the idea of replanting my church. I knew I was going to lose some folks, and that might be a good thing. And I knew there's a lot of things that need to happen. And I was really scared, and I was wondering if anyone was going to follow me. Well, I had a good friend. He was a church planner in Raleigh, North Carolina. And he's an Acts 29 planner. I don't know if you know about Acts 29 guys, but they're really cool. So he had these like cool shirts and cool jeans and these cool black rim shades. And we'd hang out. And when we'd hang out, we'd go to these cool bars and we'd drink seven, $8 beers. And it was, it was really interesting. So, so I went and hung out with him. We've known each other for a while. And we're just catching up. It's been a while since we sat with each other. And then he got all serious with me. I was like, uh-oh, what's going on here? And then he was like, all right, Root, God's put something on my heart for you. And I feel really awkward bringing it up, but I feel like I have something I'm supposed to share with you. 
I'm like, all right. And then he hesitated again. Again, I could be really wrong on this. I'm not sure if I want to talk about this. But I feel like God really wants me to talk about it. I was like, go for it. I think what God wants me to tell you is you don't need to be afraid. You're worried right now if people are going to follow you. And I'm telling you, they're going to follow you. You're worried if you can do this. You're worried if you have what it takes in the spirit to replant this church for the sake of Chapel Hill. And I'm here to tell you, I think God wants me to tell you that you can do this. And this church is going to be replanted and it's going to really bless this city. And then he got quiet and still again and he was like, was this right? Was, was this from the Holy Spirit? Because I'm really feeling awkward right now. And I looked at him, I was like, that's exactly what I need to hear. I think I broke down in tears, and you know, it was like a really emotional moment for the both of us. And then we're like, okay, that was awkward. And we like took off from each other. <laughs> it was a really, really weird experience. I'm a Presbyterian. Presbyterian churches are a prophecy-free zone. <laughs> <laughs> We don't do prophecy, right? And so I was driving home going, is this legit? Well, what, what happened? Well, how am I supposed to interpret just what happened? But I remember just being so encouraged by what God had done for me. Right now in this room, there's a huge range of emotions. Some of you, those Presbyterians who are laughing with me a little while ago, you're, you're a little freaked out right now, rightfully so. Okay, some of you who are new to Christianity are going, prophecy? I thought the Hobbit was coming out next week. What are we doing here? <laughs> you know, and then some of you are probably a little intrigued. Like me, you're a little undereducated on this subject. You're trying to figure out what this means, and it's in the Bible, and this seems like a great thing to talk about. I'm so glad you guys slow down. Just look at four verses to talk about this subject. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at four things this morning. We're going to look at the purpose of prophecy, the problem of prophecy, the process for prophecy, and the power for prophecy. Purpose, problem, process, and power. I just got to say, as a Presbyterian minister, to be illiterate with four Ps is a wonderful moment for me right now. (laughs) All right, here we go. The purpose of prophecy. Verse 20, do not despise prophecies. Uh, The word here, despise, could be do not reject or treat contemptuously prophecies. Now, we have no idea why the church in Thessalonica is rejecting these prophecies. It could be that prophecies were, were in their minds, associated with oracles, and they wanted to distance themselves with the cult of Isis and the prophecies related to that pagan religion. Or it could be that the prophecies were being abused in the local church and they wanted to stop the heresy and the problems going on. Regardless, in some ways, we sort of share some of this with them. Not that we might be contemptuous with it, but we might be wary of it, and we don't know what to do with it. So what is prophecy? Prophecy is different from Old Testament prophets. i got to say that from the outset. See, in the Old Testament, there was prophets. And what do they do? They served like lawyers for God. They kind of represented God to God's people. They kind of showed up to God's people and the kings, and they were like covenant lawyers. Hey, do you remember you said you're going to do this? Hey, this is what God wants to tell you. Hey, you might want to repent. That's a good idea. God wants to kind of forgive you. They kind of represented God. And, you can, and the most clear sense of that is the minor prophets, where you hear like Micah saying, hear God's case against you. It's like they put on their little lawyer jacket, and they're bringing God's heat. So that's how Old Testament prophets primarily served. Although there were salvation oracles, right? 
hey, Jesus is coming, there's going to be salvation, it's going to be great. So there's some future looking, but primarily covenantal faithfulness. And so we also see that prophecy is only different from Old Testament prophets. We also see prophecies different from New Testament prophets. See, in the, in the New Testament, there's these random people that show up, and we don't really know what to do with them. Like in Acts 11, there's Agabus. He foretells a great famine that does happen, and he also finds Paul later on in the book of Acts and says, hey, you're going to be bound up, and it's going to be really bad news. But he's like the one future teller in the New Testament when it comes to prophets. The rest are all more just encouraging. There's Judas and Silas in Acts chapter 15. They're well-liked and thought of leaders in the church. They even go to that big church council that makes rules and stuff. And they are known to be encouraging and they strengthen the body. So here's what's interesting. You see, there's no longer capital A apostles or capital B prophets. They function in a specific, unique way in redemptive history. And there are certain spiritual gifts that went with them, that collaborated with them to help uh, bring about the New Testament, to bring about the authority of God, to, to really solidify the scriptures for God's people. And so because certain analogous spiritual gifts surrounded them, they kind of changed with them as well with the departure of the apostles and prophets. And so the, even the gifts we have now might not be the same or they might be just different in degree. The other problem when we're looking at the book of Acts or the New Testament is often things are prescriptive and sometimes things are descriptive and sometimes it's hard to tell whether something's prescriptive or descriptive. And so when you go through the book of Acts and you're looking at all that stuff on the Holy Spirit, let me tell you, the book of Acts loves to talk about the Holy Spirit. You know, I've been to seminary, I've been reading the Bible a long time and every time in the book of Acts, I'm like, gosh, is this descriptive or is this prescriptive? And then I kind of go back to my theology. It's like, okay, wait, prophecy is different from Old Testament prophets. I know they're different from New Testament prophets. And I'm not exactly sure what's going on in this passage here. But one thing is clear. Uh, there is no new revelation from God. Uh, the way these prophets in the New Testament function, they didn't add to the scriptures. They, they kind of solidified what was going around the apostles who were the very authority of God. So, what is prophecy then? I've been saying what it's not. I think prophecy on one level is all God's people have the Holy Spirit and can prophesy, meaning they can know and speak God's mind and will. But John Stott, a theologian I really love, he had a definition that I thought was very helpful as he combed through the scriptures for us. And I'd like to share that definition with you now. Prophecy is, it can be for some a little bit more. Uh, in times, God gives prophetic gifts, and he loves to use prophetic adjectively as opposed to noun. But he says this, a, a, a gift of prophecy or a prophetic gifts, uh, a person may have a remarkable degree of insight into, either into scripture itself or its meaning. Okay, that makes sense. Or this person can have a remarkable degree of insight into its application to the contemporary world. And finally, besides having a remarkable degree of insight to scripture itself and its meaning or the application to contemporary world, uh, the gift of prophecy might be uh, someone has remarkable insight into God's particular will for particular people in particular situations. Kind of like the story I shared at the beginning of my sermon. So what's the purpose of prophecy? I think 1 Corinthians 14 really, really helps us on this. As I comb through every passage on prophecy in the New Testament this past week, I was blown away by the simplicity of 1 Corinthians 14. 
You don't have to turn there now. I'm just going to breeze through them really fast. But in verses 3 and 4, we quickly see that the very purpose of prophecy is for the building up and the encouragement and the consolation of God's people. So a lot of times we get freaked out by the term or the concept and maybe the potential abuses we witness in the church. But what's clear from 1 Corinthians 14 is the whole point of prophecy is to build up and encourage God's people. In verse 23, we see it can also create awareness and conviction of sin for people new to Christianity. And then in verse 31, it's a time where people can learn and be encouraged. In verse 33, so we can see that prophecy has nothing to do with confusion, but everything to do with peace. In verse 40, we can see it's about creating more order, not less order in the church. But of course, the previous letter or previous chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, we can see that the main thing prophecy is supposed to do in the church is to promote love. Now, as I kind of just rattle through that really fast, do you feel the cognitive dissonance right now? A little bit of the unrest? What exactly is prophecy? And how am I supposed to do it? And it's supposed to be encouraging. What's really going on here? So as we think about the purpose of prophecy, let's quickly run to the problem of prophecy. You see, the, the concept itself creates problems for many of us. A, because we hate to be out of control, right? None of us like to be in situations where we're giving or receiving something that feels like it's taking us out of control. We also like our communication to be measured, rational, and in a box nowadays. And prophecy seems to be something that's not rational, measured, and in a box. Also, when we think about the idea of giving or receiving prophecy, it feels awkward and horribly uncomfortable. And sitcoms today are designed about talking about how we hate being in awkward and comfortable situations. For most of us, we love a personalized spirituality where it's me and Jesus and we're holding hands and we're doing things together. And prophecy promotes something that's more, it's more like a family. We're interdependent and God uses each other in each other's lives. And so again, that makes us a problem for us. Uh, the other problem prophecy is we've been burned by in the past, or at least some of us has. We've had these negative experiences, and so we're like, whatever has been turned prophecy, we don't want anything to do with it. Or we've seen or heard of abuses of it in the past. Like me, a number of us are undereducated on this topic, so this, this topic itself creates issues for us. But you know, if we slow down or are honest with ourselves, a lot of times we might doubt that God would actually give us something for the purpose of giving it to somebody else. To take a step further, we're, we're generally afraid that if God gave us something, that we'd actually have to tell somebody else. And it's so much more comfortable to live like a deist or secular humanist. You know, when I thought about it this week, the problem with prophecy for me is I don't want to be that weird guy. I don't want to be that wacko. I don't want to be that person that God gives something to that I have to, in a highly risky situation, in an awkward situation, then have to communicate it to someone else. You, you know, a lot of times we hear stories about prophecy and you're like, you know, you're in traveling in Nevada and some person comes by and then gives you some word and it's supposed to be this amazing experience. But honestly, when you look at the scriptures, the gift of prophecy, as I understand them, is supposed to be done within the family. It's supposed to be done in the body, not by strangers, but people you know in your congregation. And if you're like me, you're probably worried that you'll get it wrong and then you're going to hurt somebody and that doesn't seem like a good idea. And then we also want to distance ourselves from the erroneous views of prophecy that are out there. You know, like in the past, I've come across folks that say, well, I have the gift of prophecy, which means they have the gift of being black and white and being a jerk. 
And that, that doesn't sound like a good idea, and I don't want to be that, right? Or they, they have to get the prophecy, which means they get to be a truth teller, and they come across really proud and arrogant. And I don't think the Bible has anything to do with that as well. So the problem of prophecy, it creates issues for us. But here's the real problem. Think about what we risk when it doesn't happen in our congregation. We miss out on a portion of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. There's more risk in not having it than there is in having it. Look at verse 19. Do not quench the Spirit. Quench is to extinguish the fire. It's to make something disappear completely. So to have no prophecy in the church where some are being gifted by God to use that gift in a prophetic way to be encouraging to others equals a quenched spirit. You see, this is a problem we can't afford to have. And this may be a problem that we already have. So we see the purpose of prophecy deeply around encouragement. We see the problem of prophecy. The lack of it means a quenched spirit. Now let's look at the process for prophecy. So what do we do if we believe God's given us something to give to someone else? Better yet, what do we do if someone has shared something with us? What's the process we go through to vet it, to, to internalize it? What, what, is, what would God have us do? Well, the first thing this, this passage shows us this morning is we need to test it. Look at verse 21. But test everything. I feel really good and safe about this point. You know, it's in the text. Now, the, verse, the word but here links it to the previous section. So we know that it has to do with testing the prophecies that are given to us. This word test we've seen early in 1 Thessalonians, it's chapter 2, verse 4, is to verify the character of something. It's like testing a gold coin to make sure it's authentic and sincere. Sadly, this passage doesn't explain for us how to test prophecies. But Corinthians does the exact same thing. In chapter 14, verse 29, it talks us, Paul encourages us to weigh it, to sift through it. But thankfully, the Bible as a whole tells us to how to test prophecies. Real quick, five things, five ways to test a prophecy. Either as the giver, thinking through whether this is from God and whether you should share it, or as a receiver, meaning someone shared something with you and you've got to figure out whether it was legit or not. First, is it in line with the scriptures? One thing I love about 1 Thessalonians and the next letter to the Thessalonican church, 2 Thessalonians, uh, Paul speaks to the authority of what he's writing and how it needs to be read to other churches, and how it needs to serve as a standard and the authority for all other theology. I also like what uh, Peter does in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He talks about how hard Paul is to understand, but then he talks about how Paul's letters are scripture. One of the things I love about the scriptures as a whole is they stand as a measure for what's truly spiritual. And here's what I mean by that. The Holy Spirit helped author the canon of the scripture. The Holy Spirit worked through the apostles to give us the New Testament letters. And that Spirit's not going to contradict himself when he's working through God's people, when he's initiating God's people to say things to other people. It's the same Spirit, and they work hand in hand. And so if someone has something from God for you, it better be in line with the Scripture. So the first test is in line with the Scripture. Second is, is in line with sound doctrine. I love the Apostle John on this. If you go to 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he's talking about an issue in the church, and he talks about how you need to test the spirits. In that particular situation, some of the things that are being said are from erroneous doctrine. In that particular situation, they don't believe in both a, a Jesus who's both fully God and fully man. 
And so we need to make sure that when there's a prophecy given, we're testing it. Is it in line with the scripture? And is it in line with sound doctrine? But third, is it in line with the gospel? What I love about the book of Galatians, which we just went through a little while ago, in chapter one, Paul makes it really clear that if he or anyone else or any angel were to preach a different gospel from the one he had previously preached to them, may they be accursed. And then later on in that book, he talks about how it's important for us all to keep in line, keep in step with the gospel. So an easy way to understand whether a prophecy is really from God or not is to see is it in line with the gospel. Does it speak to God's unmerited grace and favor to us? Does it speak to, to how we are secure and safe in Jesus? Does it speak to how we don't have to earn anything before him? Does it speak to the fact that Jesus has made us righteous and that he enjoys us? And does this encourage us in line with those realities? Uh, the fourth test we see in this passage is does the speaker of the prophecy have character or is he or she fruitful? Uh, Jesus speaks to this in Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. He says, you know, there's going to be false prophets coming along. There's going to be people saying all sorts of stuff. That's not right. And the easiest way to see whether this may or may not be from God is look at the fruitfulness of that person's life. Does it speak to the Spirit's work in their life? Does it speak to the character and the godliness that God is producing in them? Does their rhetoric match up with their reality? And the last litmus test or test that God gives them this, I think is an easy one. It's again from 1 Corinthians 14.3. Is ultimately, does it build you up and edify you? If someone has a, uh, maybe a prophetic something that was given to them that they need to communicate to you, at the end of the day, did you find it encouraging? Did it build you up? Was it uniquely given to you? Not general and wishy-washy, but something that feels like the Spirit of God was all about it and uniquely encouraging you in it. Because if it, it wasn't, it probably wasn't the gift of prophecy. It was probably they had a really good moment in city Bible reading and they wanted to share something to you, which is very valuable, by the way. But maybe not the prophecy that we're thinking it was. Okay, so there it is. The test is in line with the scripture, is in line with sound doctrine, is in line with the gospel, does the speaker have character and fruitfulness, and did it build you up and encourage you? So you've tested it, and what do you do? Well, then secondly, you apply it. Look at verse 21. Hold fast what is good. This is a technical term used in the Greek for holding firmly to authentic doctrine and tradition. So really simply, all Paul's saying here is if this is really from God, if this passed your test, you need to apply this ASAP. You need to slow down and integrate into your life because if it's from the Holy Spirit, you really want to integrate it. And then the third thing Paul says here is first we need to test it, we need to apply it, and in some cases we need to reject it. Look at verse 22. Abstain from every form of evil. You see, false prophecies are not from the Holy Spirit. It, but he doesn't go neutral. Eh, it's not from God. Maybe you shouldn't accept it. He basically says you need to keep away from them because it's a form or kind of evil. So here's what's kind of terrifying when you think about this. When someone's talking about prophecy or having a prophecy, it's either from the Holy Spirit or it's evil. Yikes. Yeah, does that make you want to go prophesy? <laughs> not me. Okay. So uh, we looked at a lot in this point here. But there's a process. We test it, we apply it, and we reject it. So, what's the power for prophecy? In light of everything that was just said over the last 15 minutes, why on earth would we want to do it? 
Let me take us back to John 14. Jesus, uh, he died and rose again. He was, and he was really, when he was with his disciples, he was really excited about getting away from them. He was really excited about going ahead and dying and going ahead and being resurrected because he wanted to give them something. He's expectant, celebratory. Why? Because he wanted to give them the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do in you? Well, we can see from John, John chapter 14 that the Holy Spirit's a helper. He comes alongside you and helps you in your walk with God. But he's not just a helper. We see from verse 17 that he dwells in you and he's in you. And then verse 26 that he reminds you and he teaches you of all that Jesus has taught. In Romans 8, we see that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us and gives us a spirit of adoption and literally cries, Abba, Father. And then we see in Galatians, he helps us cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. We also see in Romans 8, 26, that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. We see from Galatians chapter 5 that the Holy Spirit walks with us and walks ahead of us and, and encourages us to walk with him. We see that in Galatians 5 as well that the Holy Spirit not only dwells in us, but he bears fruit in us. And he gives us goodness and faithfulness and self-control, among other things. We see that in 1 Peter, the Holy Spirit makes us alive. We see in Hebrews chapter 10 that the Holy Spirit bears fruit in our lives. We see in Titus chapter 3 that the Holy Spirit renews us and makes us more and more like the image of God. We see in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit guards a good deposit of the work of Jesus in our life. We see in 2 Timothy as well that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of power and love and self-control within us. We see in Ephesians 5 that the Holy Spirit fills us and longs for us to be not drunk on wine, but be drunk on him and let his power rule us and lead us and encourage us. We see in Ephesians 1 that that Holy Spirit seals us and keeps us safe until we be reconciled with Jesus forever. And we see over and over and over in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth. So why, so what, why does the resurrected Jesus, why is he so excited about some of us exercising the gift of prophecy? Because through the Holy Spirit, Jesus loves to encourage, build up, console, and give people his peace with the gospel. If you're like me, life gets really rough. <laughs> Yesterday, I was, I was watching a game. My son has had ankle surgery, and, and he, was, he sat the pine for two straight games, and he played the last two minutes. If any of you have ever watched college basketball, if a team's really losing really bad or really winning really bad, uh, the guys that get at the very end, everyone's like really excited about, and then they're always, and the moment they touch the ball, they're like, shoot, shoot, shoot. Well, my son, last year was the first guy off the bench. And he was dominating and doing great. And this year, he's that guy. And, and I was watching, and the team's lacking chemistry, not doing well, and they're infighting. And every parent around me was yelling and arguing and yelling at each other and saying negative things about each other's children. And my heart, I was joining them, you know? And I felt, I felt so awful. I felt I wanted to take a shower. I didn't know what to do, you know? You know, I was depressed out there. And then as I thought about the sermon the rest of the day, it's like, I don't want to preach on prophecy. What if I'm wrong? What if I'm right and I can't stay in the PCA? I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> By the way, John Frame and I agree on this, so I think I'm good. But, and as I was just living in reality, I, I just realized, you know, I walk around so discouraged often. 
and I forget about what the Holy Spirit's doing in my life. Do you know why we need the gift of prophecy by some of us in this church? Because we need encouragement. We need someone in our life running up to us, and whether it's the gift of prophecy or not, prophesying about God's word and God's will for us and speaking God's mind to us and reminding us of who we are in Christ, that Jesus once and all died for us. He made us righteous. And we're not defined by what we think and we say about other people when our sons don't play basketball. We're defined by the perfect obedience of Jesus. And we're loved by our Father. And that he's good and he's using difficult circumstances in our lives to make us more like him. And that he's going to use us to further expand his kingdom. You see, the gift of prophecy, the power for it, is the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit loves to make the gospel shine. The Holy Spirit loves to put the attention on Jesus. The Holy Spirit loves to get your eyes off yourself and on the one who redeemed you and loves you. And if that's what the gift of prophecy is all about, I'm all in. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're so thankful for your rich grace and mercy. We're thankful that you gave us the prophets. We're thankful that you give us prophecies now. But we're most thankful for is that you've given us your son. That he loves us. That he lived and died for us. That he's now ascended on high and intercedes for us. And he's given us his spirit. That you, Father and Son, are using your Holy Spirit in powerful ways in our lives. Father, as it is, each and every one of us hit our moments of discouragement. We hit our moments of confusion. We get distracted and we kind of wander from the gospel. And whether it's the gift of prophecy or not, would you lead your people? Would you initiate beautiful conversations because your Holy Spirit's working in us and through us for the behalf of each other? We pray all this in your blessed name, Lord Jesus. Amen.